Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. This is episode 20. Can't believe I've done 20 episodes. This is quite the milestone. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you've enjoyed all of the podcasts leading up to this one. There's so many more to come, so stay tuned. So really excited about today's episode, I have Melissa Broder as my guest, who is the author of four poetry collections and she's also the author of the essay collection So Sad Today, which is published by Scribe in the UK and Grand Central Publishing in the US. The book is of the same name as the extremely popular So Sad Today account on Twitter, which currently is nearly at 400,000 followers. This account has grown over the last few years and attracted loads of fans, including celebrities such as Miley Cyrus and Katy Perry. And as of last year, Melissa went public as the creator of the account and actually revealed herself in quite a rock and roll way in Rolling Stone. Her book, So Sad Today, includes lots of personal essays on her former addictions to drugs and alcohol, eating disorders, love, therapy, and she writes about lots of different relationships she's had. And it really is like no other book I've read before. Melissa is also a part-time astrologer and she creates the brilliant horoscopes for Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor's Lenny Letter. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I loved speaking to Melissa. She is just so brilliant and I really hope you enjoy listening to this one. Here it is. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Obviously, this podcast does talk about social media in general and the ways it affects our lives. And I'm just so interested in your internet presence versus your amazing book as well. Well, I'll tell you, today started with, so I always try to meditate for 10 minutes before I touch any technology. Really? Oh, that's good. And it's like, I have all these like rules for myself with social media that I break every day. So this morning I have not yet meditated because I like woke up and then I had a sinking feeling that I had missed. I was right basically (laughs) because we had to reschedule this. And so, um, so I mean, I was like, well, that's carte blanche for me to like skip my meditation and go right on the internet. So I'll be meditating after the podcast. So you're getting me free meditation, which you guys probably won't be able to tell the difference. That's so interesting though, that it, that it, actually did affect your day you know it's just like I'm such a compulsive person that like once I'm on Twitter it's like I'm in it you know what I'm Mm. saying it will dominate it's a vortex and then it keeps sucking you back in the rest of the day so I'm like okay I just like to meditate to kind of set the tone that like there is a maybe a space in the world outside of social media and Twitter just to kind of like set that and before I go in but today it was not to be with um with writing the book, it is it's amazing and it's like nothing I've ever read before. So honest and so I guess it's really intense, but in a really really good way. Like I couldn't, I honestly couldn't put it down. How did that work with um <laughs> the vortex of social media? Did you have to put it on hold while you wrote the book? No, you know I sometimes I'll take like I'll well, I'll like aim to take like twenty four hours off of Twitter and then. I used to be able to do it back in the day, maybe perhaps when I, my addiction to social media hadn't, you know, addiction is progressive. So like it used to be that I could take a 24 hour break and I'd say, oh, well, I've taken a 24 hour break, so I can't be that addicted. Now it's I like, I don't even make that challenge for myself because I, it's not happening, Mm -hmm. but I know that I'm bound to fail. But what I do is like a lot of times, one of my little boundaries, I have a million boundaries that I've set with social media that again, I break most days. And it's sort of like um, when the alcohol, when people who are alcoholics before they get sober, or I myself before I got sober off of alcohol, 
you know, I would do different things like, okay, no hard alcohol, or I'm only going to drink, you know, after five, or I'm only going to drink. And it's like you're bargaining, mm-hmm. but every time you drink, the same thing happens. That's sort of where I am with social media right now. So I'm in like the bartering stage. And so I'm like, okay, well, I won't tweet, I won't get on Twitter until after 12, because then at least I have a few hours like without it, or okay. I won't tweet until 7 p.m. Or I'll only tweet from my So Sad Today account six times in a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I set up all these little pretty arbitrary, inane rules um, and then break most of them. Yeah, that's that's such a good thing to sort of say to yourself. Because like, if you just say, oh, I'm going to go cold turkey, it's just, you're just not going to stick to it. It's like those apps that like block you. But I, I, I think there's always a way of getting back on if you really want to. Exactly. Like just because you lock the liquor cabinet doesn't mean you can't go but to the store and buy another bottle. So with um with your Twitter account so sad today, it's so funny because I, I started following that as did pretty much everyone, like ages ages before knowing that it was you, Melissa Broder, and also before your book. Um but I was just wondering the the evolution of that account. At the beginning, obviously, there couldn't have been much pressure because it was just, you know, you just did it. But now now that you do have so many followers on that account, was was there a pressure to keep it up? You know, it's funny. Like, yeah, the way it started was basically I I was in a really uh, a really intense depression and also really a um a cycle of panic attacks. And so um, I had my own per- I have my own personal Twitter account that, of course, I always wanted a lot of followers on because who doesn't want to be popular and well liked by imaginary strangers <laughs> to validate one's own ego? So um, I was always trying to make those tweets really good on my Melissa Broder account, and then so I was going through this depression and 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 this cycle of panic attacks, and all the things that I used to do weren't working. So. Um, For example, like my psychiatrist up my medication in the past that it worked, it wasn't really working. Therapy wasn't really doing it. There was an ebook that I loved um, called Panic Away that I, the guy is now actually pretty successful. I'm very happy for him. But at the time when I had originally gotten it, it was like literally a Microsoft Word document (laughs) that you downloaded with a picture of him skydiving on the cover. But it (laughs) had... But it had really worked for me, but for some reason it wasn't working this time. And I knew that tweeting, just the act of tweeting, whatever it is about deploying sort of what's really going on into the universe, there was something, there's a dopamine surge, There's mm-hmm. there, I felt that it would help, but I didn't want to be tweeting this stuff from my personal account. So I set up the So Sad Today account and I literally followed like three weird tweeters. I had no <laughs> followers. It was just like this in this dark corner of the internet and I started tweeting and without caring, like without sculpting the tweets at all. And, um, and I guess maybe one of the people I had followed, like followed back or retweeted. And that's like, that's how it happened. And, um, and then I think some teen girls found it and they, you know, teen girls, what I love, I love teens. (laughs) I like, don't really like, like, I don't like children that much. It's not that I don't like them. I just, we have nothing in common, you know, like, I'm just like, well, I don't even know what to do with a kid. Like, I'm like, okay, great. Like, you're innocent now, but, you know, you're <laughs> probably going to grow up to be an asshole just like the rest of us. So I don't really buy it. But, um, but with, te- I love teens because I'm more about like second chances than first chances. And I feel like teens, it's like, you know, second chances and all that angst and, so I love them. I think they're just, I really relate to them. So when teen girls find something they like, they, they tend to like have a lot of word of mouth, you know, they, they oh, yeah. get really excited. Right. So they, I think spread the word. And then 
a lot of my friends started following it and didn't know it was me. And then <laughs> that must have been weird. Like, did anyone bring it up? Like, I love this account in front yes, of you. Totally. <laughs> um, and actually, I stayed anonymous completely for about two and a half years. And then after two and a half years, I told, you know, some friends and people like that. And um, basically what I the way I would break the break it would I would just like like I, it happened a couple times with people that I was having sex with. Like they would maybe have like their tweets weren't that great and they would have maybe like 300 followers or something. But so sad today followed them and would retweet them sometimes and they didn't know. And I was like, come <laughs> on, do you think so sad today is retweeting you because your tweets are that good? Like it seemed kind of obvious that it probably was someone they knew. But so one day they'd be talking about so sad today and I would say, well, what would happen if so sad today retweeted you five times? And they were like, whoa, that would be amazing. And so I would do it. And then I would say, check your phone. And, um, so that was really fun. But, you know, I think um, it's weird. As the account, just to answer your question, as it started getting more and more followers, you know, in some ways, like, there has been more pressure to, you know, like, I want my tweets to be good. And I'm, like, not afraid of deleting tweets. Like, if a tweet sucks, I'm <laughs> just, like, delete. And the way I define a tweet sucking is, like, if I really like a tweet and I tweet it and then, like, other people, it doesn't get a lot of traction, then, like, I still think it's a good tweet. But if I tweet a tweet that I, like, I'm kind of, like, mm, lukewarm about, and then, like, it's not, it doesn't get reception, then I'm like, okay, that yeah. was a shitty tweet, you know? Yeah, because, like, obviously, you know, you want to keep it that you're, you're, at the end of the day, happy with what you're posting more than the reception. Because sometimes I feel like maybe in other corners of the internet, like, maybe YouTubers, for example, I wonder how much they change depending on what people want from them. Totally. And they're so, they interact with their audiences a lot, right? They're always like, hey, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Whereas it, it seems like the, the account has never changed. It's just, um, it's just grown. And it just must be hard, like, uh, feeling if you have a benchmark for success for a tweet, for example. I, did, I didn't know if that might be stressful for you to be like, oh, God, I've got to beat my tweet from yesterday. But it's more a thing of, like, if I tweet something that I don't really love and doesn't get a lot of traction, I'm like, oh, it's all over for me. I'll never have another good tweet. Like, I suck. Everything's shitty. Like, I go down rabbit holes of low self-esteem really quickly. So, like, that's sort of the place that I'll go. Um, also, when, my, when one of my friends is having, like, a rough time, sometimes I'll retweet them to give them what is like kind of the equivalent of internet cocaine. Like, you know, cause there's, yes. when you get retweeted by so sad today, there's a big bump and, um, in, you know, in retweets and followers and stuff. And so, but, and they're like, Oh my God, this feels like I'm on MDMA. But the, the scary part is, is that I've kind of gotten desensitized to it. Like right. it doesn't really take more of the drug now. It's just kind of like life, you yeah. know, but I'm still going to it all the time like a rat pushing a lever but it's like the way a drug addict might describe um you know using more of a more of a drug no longer to get high but just to kind of feel well yeah that's sort of how I am now I, I feel like a lot of people might, might not understand why they feel happier when like a tweet does well or you know they get like over 100 likes on a on a selfie for example but yeah, it's just, um, it's kind of sad in a way that that could make or break your day or your mood. Totally. And then, you know, often I'll just delete the tweet and tweet a couple of others and just to prove to myself I've still got it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I think some people aren't aware. And, you know, I have to wonder, I'm like, is being self-aware really 
because I'm I am a very self-aware person probably even to like a fault like self-conscious but I'm like does self-knowledge really avail us anything I'm like because I'm still the same as the person who's you know, getting off on all their likes on a selfie and not knowing why. Like, yes, I'm like, okay, adrenaline, dopamine. But it doesn't mean I'm not going back and checking 80 times just like they are to see yeah. if the likes are coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, maybe we all know deep down. But or it's... maybe knowing doesn't matter. You know, knowing yeah. is only half the battle, right? Yeah, it's so, so true. Um, I, also, I'm really interested in this because um, I know, like, from reading interviews of you in the past around the book that you used to work in the book world I did for a long time yeah and I and I find like this um question keeps coming back round to do with do you need an internet presence to get a book deal and obviously it makes sense I know that publishing houses will look at people's online profiles even if you like go for a job people will google you it's not really anything new like what do you think about that because obviously you have you've written loads before this is the first time that it's been to do with so sad today has it been a different process You know, I honestly think that it depends on the kind of book, right? Like if you're writing a book that's very like poppy and nonfiction and then like you need an internet presence. If you're writing a beautiful novel, you don't need an internet presence. And a lot of times it's it's funny, like I'll see people who just aren't really internet people and that's fine. They're like beautifully off the grid try to like create one really fast. And I kind of feel like that's like the worst thing you can do. Like when there's like a lot of times I'll get followers of people who have a, or not followers, like people on Facebook, they'll create a Facebook presence or a fan page because they have a book coming out. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and like their profile picture is the picture of the book. And I'm just like, Oh God. And they'll like start posting their book on people's walls. Like they just have no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, Honey, like, no, you know, that's also in part the way that I, I am like a big, I'm sort of, I have a very like, like a very defined social media philosophy when it comes to self-promotion. Like on my personal Twitter account, I think I've tweeted three links in like maybe five or six years. Like I am very anti-self-promotion. I'm like, use it as a form of expression, create a world within that place and then like people might be interested in what else you do and will find you you know or Mm -hmm. maybe put a link in the bio but like give people give people something you know give them create a world for them and with so sad today I never ever ever used to promote anything on there and then when the book came out I've been like promoting but you'll kind of see sometimes I get I get very self-conscious and then I'll just ask followers I'm like okay is it time to stop promoting the book like are you done with me like are you ready to kill me and they're all like no it's fine because people see self-promotion on social media all the time but I'm like ugh. like I feel like any tweet with a link in it is like a dead tweet like I I'm my philosophy is kind of like be the tweet you wish to see in the world <laughs> yeah it's so true I, I totally agree with the whole like you have to give people stuff and then you can ask for stuff, but you have to give them stuff first. Right. Or maybe don't even ask and let them find mm-hmm. you, you know, cause they will like, if people like what you're saying, people like to Google stock or people will, will click the link in your bio, you know, eventually they're going to get curious. Whereas if you're just like, if no one knows you and you're just like tweeting your book into space, like who cares? I know what you mean. It's a hard line, I think, because I think um, I feel like social media is there for self-promotion sometimes because like you've kind of 
built this network of people who do care about you. So it's kind of like the perfect audience to click your stuff. But then there is a line. There is definitely a line. Right. And like definitely don't start out with like why would I don't know. It's just weird. There's like usually it's this certain type. Usually I mean I see it on Twitter a lot. But I see it on Facebook a lot like more and Facebook is like a shithole to begin with like for me I'm like Facebook is kind of a cesspool like I'm just like ugh, it's such a mess and it's kind of to me it's sort of more of a joke whereas Twitter I take disgustingly seriously like in a way I probably have a healthier relationship with Facebook because I'm like this is just guard like this is just a piece of crap you know like who would want to but Twitter it's like I don't even see it as a social media application anymore like Twitter to me is just like air I breathe and like life and that is like very you know that's a lot more dangerous I think I mean I I find it really cringe putting like my like I run a blog and I would never ever link to my blog really on Facebook I think I've done it like a few times over like literally seven years because I just think I don't know it's not really for my friends which is a really weird thing to say <laughs> it's like yes it's for people that just want to read it um and actually that brings me on to a question about um I know that in an interview recently you said like you don't want your parents to read the book do you think they have secretly read it no I don't think they have so my mother is like amazing at denial she's like really good at it and um so and I had three books of poetry come out before and I asked them not to read those but I asked them very gently and my mom didn't my dad did because he just like you know, it's sweet. Like, I think he's just very, and also, but the thing with poetry is that nobody understands what the hell's going on anyway. So like, you know, they don't know what, like my dad read it, but like, he's like, I, you know, I read it. I don't understand it, but like, great. (laughs) But like, you know, and he's like, do you think you got it from me? And he starts like quoting Shakespeare, you know, like, did I inherit the writerly gene? My dad's not a writer, but he like, he loves Shakespeare and I don't know. He loves to read. So I'm like, yes. Yeah. Who doesn't love like (laughs) and knowing knowing a poet? (laughs) Exactly. So, but my mom like didn't, my mom, I think read the first page of my first book of poetry and it was about like me not wanting to have babies. And she like closed the book and like was like, no, I can't be part of this. (laughs) Um, With this book, I was like, you can't read this. And I think they were confused at first, but I was like, listen, There are some things that a parent should not have to know about their child. And I said, you know, would you want me reading about your sex life? And they were like, no. You know, and I think they got it. But I also think it's been hard for them. Like, and it's been hard for me, too, because they're just like, why do you have this book out in the world that you wouldn't want us to read? And, um, you know, and it's sort of like because and why are you just like spilling all your crap out there? And I'm like, why am I spilling all my crap out there? You know, and. I definitely am a person who shame spirals very easily. So like I'm the, when the first day that the book came out and my mom, was, I showed her one interview that I thought was like the cleanest interview that I did just cause you know, everyone wants their parents to be proud of them. So I was like, how can I like show them some of what's going on with this, but like not have them know anything. So I showed them an interview that I thought was really clean and like fine. <laughs> and she was like fat picked it apart in a million ways and was like, I can't believe you're doing this. So I felt like shit, but then someone emailed me and was like, I just got your book and I was having a panic attack. It was a teen. She was like, I was having a panic attack on a field trip and it really helped me. It gave me a place to hide from everyone, but also it, it really helped me to know that, you know, someone else suffers from this too. 
And I was like, okay. So I was like, this is why I'm putting something, Mm -hmm. this out in the world, you know? And since then I've gotten like really so many, so many emails from people that it seems to be that every time I'm feeling like, what the, like, what have I done? And also, okay. So my dream job is to work at Sephora. Like I always feel like my first, like in my twenties, I worked in a, a lot of jobs where I had to be on my feet, you know, and then I swore never again. Like I was done with jobs where I had to be on my feet, but I secret, but I still think that working at Sephora would be like, do you guys have, you have Sephora in the UK, I right? Think, I mean, we're all obsessed with it, but it's still not here. The thing about Sephora that's great is it's not as much like a department store because people aren't pushing things on you and they're not all like, can I help you? Can I help you? You get to play all on your own with as oh, many samples amazing. as you want. Yeah, so it's very free. It's like a buffet. Why wouldn't they come to us? Sephora, if you're listening, <laughs> I would love to help you launch the UK <laughs> flagship. Sephora, we would. Yes, please, let's make it happen. We will help you promote um, if you give us like lots of awesome samples. So, okay, well, so my, so I'm always like Sephora, like, if I have to, you know, if, if I'm not able to work a job again where I'm paid to sit on my ass and it, it comes to a thing where I'm, I have to stand up, Sephora is my dream job. Like that is to me, the like just to play in the samples all day and play with makeup. And there's, I don't think you make commissions. There's no pressure to sell. You're just sort of wafting through the makeup. Oh, amazing. All you, day. you would just be in the best mood every day, wouldn't you? Oh my God. It would be incredible. And, like, just putting makeup on people and, like, you know, playing, talking with a lot of women all day. I love just talking to women about, like, skincare and hair care and shit. And, like, it's very bonding. So, but I'm, like, if Sephora Googled me, you know, they're a corporation, they'd be, like, who, like, you know, they look at my resume and then they Google me and they're, like, uh, who is this crazy bitch? She can't work in our store. Like, I'm, like, so just when I start to feel like that, like, right, like, my life is over, then I um, will get an email from someone and just being like, thank you so much for telling the truth about all these things. So it sort of evens out, like the shame spiral and the like, thank you for helping me kind of, they sort of balance each other out yes. a little bit. Yeah, it definitely it definitely has that effect, the book. I read it um, in the bath because <laughs> um, I, like, I just keep a, a, a book by the bath and like every time I have a bath, I basically, yeah, finish it quite quickly. And, and um, it just... I think the immediate reaction when you admit something kind of personal is like it just makes the reader feel totally normal and less freaked out about their own thoughts, which I loved. Was that ever the conversation that you wouldn't put your name on the, on the front and keep it as maybe like a different name? So actually, so when I got the book deal, it was um, I had a friend my dear friend, her name's Cara Priest, and she is sort of like this angel in my life. Just like, she's a lot younger than me. And she's just one of these human beings who like knows how to like connect people. So she connected me to an editor at Grand Central and was like, that's my, that was my, that was my publishing house in the United States. Scribe came after in the UK. And she's like, you read, read some of this girl's writing. So the woman didn't follow So Sad Today. She didn't really know about So Sad Today, but there were one or two essays that I had written online. Um, and then also my poetry, you know, so they could see through my poetry that I had a voice, right. Mm -hmm. That I could do something. And then through the essays that I had written. And these essays were like less raw, you know, they were a little less raw, but they were still like, you know, a little fucked up and twisted. And so, and honest. And so, I met with this woman for lunch and we talked about what type of book I might be able to write. And we came, we went through a lot of ideas. And the last idea we came up with 
when I talked to her about the So Sad Today account was to do personal essays and to kind of link it to this, you know, the power of the So Sad Today account because it's thematically very similar, um, you know, and kind of the same dealing with my, my obsessions, which are, um, you know, death, um, existential dread, why are we here, sex, longing, romantic obsession. And I, and I was like, you know, but if we call the book So Sad Today, you know, I really like that, that, that my account is anonymous and I don't want to reveal my identity. And she was like, well, we can keep it anonymous for a long time. She's like, but I think, you know, because we approached you about doing the book, we want whatever the book is, we want your name on the book. Because, mm. um, you know, I, I had this following for my poetry. So I thought about it for a little while. And then I was like, okay, but let's put it off as long as possible. So in their sales catalogs, when they, you know, because they have to go out and try to sell the book like a year before it comes out, I had them black out my name because I wanted to put off like coming out as So Sad Today for as long as possible. And then I had a lot of anxiety around coming out. I assumed that everyone would like think I wasn't, they'd be like, oh, like, like they'd like So Sad Today more than they'd like me and they'd just be disappointed. Like I always assume I'll be a disappointment, you know? But then finally, I was like, okay. And I talked to my therapist about it, how that like everyone was going to hate me or whatever. And then, but then I did it. And once I did it, it was like no big deal. Like I, I it was like no big deal. It was amazing. It was like leading up to doing it, I was petrified. And then I did it. And it was like, I didn't really get any pushback. I had one, <laughs> one teen, this, some teen boy. I, so the way I came out was um, I did a, I had done a piece in Rolling Stone. Oh, can I just before. say that is like the most rock and roll thing that you would yeah. come out and be like, it's me on the Rolling Stone. <laughs> it's, it's so me, cool. Bitches. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so that was really cool. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come out in Rolling Stone. But, <laughs> but I wanted to come out to the followers, like the people who follow the account personally first, right before the Rolling Stone thing came out. So the night before I tweeted a picture of myself as a kid and I was like, tomorrow I'm coming out. This is me as a kid. And then the next day, about an hour before the Rolling Stone piece came out, I had this doctor's form that I had filled out in the waiting room of a doctor's office. And it was my name on it. And it, I had checked off, you know, they ask you all your medical ailments. And I had checked off anxiety and depression. And I wrote over it, like on the computer, I kind of like took a picture and then like sort of hacked it. And it said my name, it said anxiety, you know, my symptoms. My, my diagnoses, and then I wrote So Sad Today on it. And about, I'd say, an hour, maybe half an hour before the Rolling Stone piece came out, I tweeted that. Just because I didn't want my, like, I don't know, I wanted to tell them myself, yeah. you know, the yeah. people who followed the account. And in the picture, I had taken the picture of this doctor's form on my lap, and there was maybe a sliver of my knee in the picture. And the only pushback I got was this, like, 15-year-old teen boy, or I don't know how old he was, maybe he was 18, wrote, you have a gross knee. <laughs> and I was like, oh I God. called it knee gay. And I was like, <laughs> if this is the only pushback I get, this is the only like negative response. I'm like, because I was expecting people to be like, you suck. Like, you're too old. Like, you're, you're bored. You know, me. I don't know. Just yeah. to be disappointed, you know? That is so funny. But so, but you know what? I was like, if, if the knee is like the worst criticism. <laughs> yeah but bring it yes oh my god so true it's like the knee whatever you can say what you want about my knee do you find that um on social media that you need to not 
sort of open the doors to like l- what other people are doing um in the sense of like comparing yourself do you, do you find that it's easier to sort of like follow like, a very sort of streamlined group of people that you can control or are you do you not mind sort of just like being bombarded with, with people's lives well on my personal twitter i follow like a pretty um a pretty small group of people um just so I can like actually see because otherwise you miss everyone's tweets you know and from my so sad today account I follow a lot bigger of a group of people like um sometimes you know people who reach out as fans and are like I love your account or people you know I don't I don't know, or maybe if there's, like, a journalist who follows me, I'll follow them back if they're, like, you know, an important journalist. Um, You know, I'm not above um, that kind of um, superficial gratification and wanting them to continue to follow me. So, or or a band, you know, I'm like, holy shit, like, this, this band I love follows me. So in that sense, so I follow more people on my So Sad Today account, but I also have a, a list on there of my favorite tweeters. So usually when I'm checking tweets, I'm just, I, I check that list. It's my sad Twitter list and it's just tweeters I love. You know, they're not all even that sad, but it's, you know, funny and <laughs> tweeters I love. Um, and that's usually where I retweet from too. Now in terms of, I never, with So Sad Today, I never used to ever search my name or search my handle or... And it was very hard for me to check my mentions because it gets so much like, yeah, there's yeah, so many things yeah. happening all the time that I rarely could see what people were like writing to me. But then once the book started coming out, I started searching at So Sad Today and at Melissa Broder to mm-hmm. see what people were saying about the book. And I've always been surprised by how few haters the account has. Like it really, I'm actually like, I feel like I've gotten pretty lucky. Oh, or I yeah. Don't really know. People love it. I mean, but it's shocking. Like, I'm like, you would think I would have more haters. But recently I came across some, there were like some some super bully haters where they were just like mean. Like, they were like mean, 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 mean. And so, of course, when someone is like sort of verbally abusive or bullying, I immediately assume I did something wrong. Because like, it can never be that the other person's wrong, right? It's always me. It's always my fault. Like, in my mind, I think everything's my fault even without someone being a hater. So if someone's a hater, I'm like, oh, well, I am just like, they see through me. I'm terrible. Like, I am shit, you know? And I went through like 24 hours because they were, but then like, I kind of talked it through with some people and it was like, well, yes, like perhaps like, you know, they, they didn't like one of my tweets and um, maybe that tweet, you know, like I was sarcastic where I shouldn't have been sarcastic, but like the level that they went to, to like go into my Twitter feed and find this tweet. And like, yeah. I mean, they were searching back like a year and a half to find anything that they could find fault with. And, and really just piling on like the, the, the layer after layer of like meanness and cruel and cruelness. And I was just like, okay. It's clearly them and not me, you know, like, but it's still hard for me to remember that. So my friend was like, okay, well, you know, the book's been out a couple of months. Maybe stop searching yourself again. Because like there was something really, you know, there's something empowering about not knowing what people are saying. And for years I didn't just because I I was like, "Eh, like, why bot? Like, I don't really need to know. know? And that's quite a good place to be. Yeah. Just not even thinking about looking. Right. Exactly. That's also another like hole that you can fall into, I bet. Once you do it once, you probably want to do it. Well, that's what happened. And I I was, you know, I get such a high from seeing what people are saying about the book or when they tweet the book, like, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So now that's a new thing I get high on. So if I'm not searching the 
the handle, I don't really see it. So, you know, then I'm like, oh, I missed my new drug, you know, cause it's, it's a pretty new drug for me. It's only about a two month old drug, which for me is plenty of time to get addicted to something. I mean, I can get addicted. To, I can get like at least psychologically addicted to something, you know, anything good, anything good, or that produces like an, a feeling of euphoria or gets me out of myself. Like, I mean, yes. I can get addicted very quickly because I'm just like, this is the next thing without even knowing. I'm like, this is the thing that's going to rescue for me from feeling my feelings mm-hmm. and from being me. But anyway, so it was funny because like the word haters, like I had never Googled it. So I Googled it the other day and I found like all these like cheesy memes about them. And I was like <laughs> yes. saving them in my phone. Like, okay. Like the next time someone comes after you and they were the most basic stuff that like everyone knows about haters. Like here, I'll read you some of them in case there's someone listening who like wants to know more, wants to know what somebody who like had never really known exactly what a hater is, (laughs) is doing to bump up her shitty self-confidence. So hold on one sec. All right. So these are, these are the, these are the hater memes that I chose to save to my phone. Haters make me famous. Have you ever met a hater doing better than you? Love your haters. They're your biggest fans. (laughs) So clearly this is like very stupid, reductive stuff about haters. Like it's like, you know, they're written in like cheesy courier new font. And it's like something that maybe like a 15 year old would have put on their MySpace like 10 years ago. But like for me, I was like, oh, this like I was like, this is information. Then. Well, yeah, because they say that, um, you know, if you have like hate proper haters, and, and for example, like they hate your website, they're paying for your advertising. Yeah, like they're giving you attention, I guess. And, you know, of course, I didn't see it that way. I was like, oh, my God, somebody thinks I'm awful. I must be awful. Even, you know, because if 350,000 people think I'm like good, but one person thinks I'm mm. awful, then it's like, well, yeah, why must is that? be awful. Why, is our, why are our human brains so silly? Like we, they literally just remember one um, horrible comment out of like thousands. I don't know. Maybe it's because we're scared we are awful. And so we're looking for that truth to be verified. Yeah, I think it's because we already thought that thing and someone said it. And we're like, oh. <laughs> we're like, oh God, they know. They know the truth. Well, thank you so much for talking to me on the podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you so much. If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at Girl Lost in City on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week. Bye.